Hi, Avril here from Access Credit Union. We are delighted to once again sponsor the Star Sports Podcast. As part of our range of new business loans, we now offer Cultivate Farm Finance, the farmer-friendly loan package. With a Cultivate loan, farmers in West Cork can benefit from the local decision-making and personal service offered by Access Credit Union. To find out more, go to accesscu.ie forward slash cultivate, call me on 085 268 2727 or 028 21883, where a member of our team will be happy to help you with your inquiry. Close your eyes and pull like down. <laughs> and a new Irish record for Phil Healy, 22.99. Christy Cooney hands over the Sam McGuire Cup to Graham Canty, Cork All-Ireland Champions for the seventh time ever. Hello and welcome to the Star Sport Podcast. My name is Jack McCarran of the Southern Star and I'm joined as always by Star Sport Editor, Kieran McCarthy. Before we kick things off, I'd just like to give a gentle reminder to our listeners and viewers to please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and YouTube. The Star Sport Podcast is brought to you in association with our friends at Access Credit Union. Access Credit Union, where your bank really does matter. Choose the credit union, choose local, choose community. On this week's show, we're looking back on Cork's Round 2 qualifier win over Limerick at Parkerqueeve on Sunday and reflecting on the All-Ireland quarter-final draw which has pitted the Rebels against Dublin in Crow Park on June 25th. In a few moments, 2010 All-Ireland winner John Hayes will be joining us on the line to break it all down. Later on the show, we're chatting to Ireland and Skibbereen rowing star Lydia Heafy ahead of World Cup 2, which gets underway this week. But Kieran, let's start with the Cork footballers. And obviously, we'll get into the Limerick game and the Dublin draw in more detail with John Hayes in a few moments. But before that, venues have once again been a divisive topic this week with all four All-Ireland football quarterfinals being set for Croke Park including Cork's meeting with Dublin. A tweet you posted on the subject went viral I suppose you'd say this week too. Why do you think this is always such a contentious issue and do you think there was ever even a slight chance that the GEA would have asked Dublin to travel south to play John Cleary's side at Park Aquive? This is just another missed opportunity by the GA, Jack. Um, I go to your second question first. I don't think it was ever a runner. I think those All-Ireland quarterfinals were going to go on in Crow Park no, no matter what, um, which which is a shame because back to that phrase, missed opportunity, because that's just what it is. When you have ties like Cork against Dublin and even um, Mayo against Kerry, like Mayo against Kerry was prime for somewhere like the Gaelic grounds in Limerick. And you go back to 10 years ago, and I think when Croke Park was unavailable, they put Kerry Mayo in there for a big game, and the atmosphere in the game was just superb. So there, there was the chance and the opportunity to take games out of Croke Park and just spread them around the provinces because we have really good stadiums, and it'd be great to give those championship atmospheres and occasions to different towns and venues and stadiums rather than going back to Croke Park at the same stage every, every year. And just on... Cork and Dublin. Imagine if that was put in Simple Stadium in Turles. Imagine the buzz that could have created in Turles that day. You'd have a you'd have a bigger Cork crowd than, than will go to Dublin, and you'd have the Dubs coming out of Croke Park too. And to be fair to the Dubs, I think a lot of fans would travel because there's almost a novelty factor. All their games are in Croke Park. But when I put out that tweet on Monday, one of my big issues, apart from the fact that it's um it's in Croke Park again, and you're asking Cork fans to travel an awful amount and let's say the West, West Cork fans, people from Castletown Bear, Irie's, Alleghese, it's a four, four and a half or one-way trip, 400 kilometres up the road to go watch, to watch the game. That's 800 kilometres trip alone. Like, But it's an evening kickoff, 6 p.m. kickoff. And imagine if you're bringing kids to, to that game, like you're not going to go to Dublin half eight, nine o'clock, depending on where you want to get food or not, you know, you're not going to get home till, till, till Sunday morning. But it's the cost factor as well. Like we all know that the cost of living is going up and up in Ireland. A litre of diesel and, and petrol has gone well over two euro. The hotel prices in Dublin are just nuts. Like I put into booking.com 
for um for that Saturday night, June 25th, just to see what the prices are for hotels just a kilometre or two around the, the city centre in Dublin. And let's say for two adults, the minimum could probably come in just under 400, you know, 369, 389 and north of 400. But imagine if you were bringing your kids and you wanted to make a weekend of it, like we did before when we were younger, you'd stay up, stay up for the night. Um, it's, I don't think it's just feasible if you're trying to bring a young family to a game like that when you factor all the costs in. And that's why the GEA could have brought these games out of Croke Park, just spread them around the province, give something back to the fans. I know the players want to play in Croke Park. It's the... It's GAHQ, it's, it's, it's the big stadium, it's, it's the big stage. But look at the attendance that was in Croke Park last Saturday evening for the, the two qualifier games that ran, Claire Roscommon, I think it was, um, was it Mayo Kildare? Jeez, you could almost count the crowd. You know, there was no atmosphere there whatsoever. And that's not selling and promoting the game. So, but I think big missed opportunity. And I know the GA announced on Tuesday that the ticket sales for the quarterfinals are looking quite healthy at the moment. But... It's not, it's not all about the money. It's not all about the ticket sales for the GA. If they brought these games out and gave us an occasion, look at that Kerry Cork game in Parky Ring. All the... Oh, that shitstorm, you could say, in the few weeks beforehand about Parky Ring or nowhere. And again, the Cork footballers were dead right. But the Munster, the Munster Council had fixed that game for Clarney. But it ended up the Cork footballers stood their ground. They got what they wanted. They got their game in, in Parky Ring. It was almost full. But there was a sense of occasion at Parky Ring that Saturday evening. There was an atmosphere there. It felt like a proper championship game compared that to the Munster football final. Kerry against Limerick in Killarney, 14,000 people spread around Fitzgerald Stadium. Awful atmosphere. Awful game, you have to say. Like, it was so one-sided. And it just, it just didn't promote the game the way we want the games promoted. So my, my thinking, big missed opportunity by the GA and, and another own goal. I think it is that phrase that you use, the sense of occasion that a lot of people point to. And I think that almost seems to be lost on the GAA at times. Why are they not building these matches into occasions? Like you mentioned the Kildare-Mayo game at the weekend. That's one of the best games of football you'll see this season played in front of practically an empty stadium. If that had been at one of the provincial grounds, we'll say the Gaelic grounds, for example, even all of that is quite big as well. Just getting a crowd in it would have added to the atmosphere because the football on show from both sides at times was electric so yeah i i I couldn't agree more but look cork are in the quarterfinal kieran they beat limerick on sunday they're playing the mighty dubs on june 25th and i'm going to throw to our chat with john hayes in just a moment but before we do i just want to briefly get your own reaction to the draw when the draw was being made on monday morning i assume Cork fans and Cork players and management weren't hoping that they'd be drawn to play the dubs because if you look, there's going to be a, a brand new All-Ireland or a, a, a novel All-Ireland finalist coming out of the other side of the draw. Will Cork be disappointed with the fact that they've been drawn to play the dubs and if they somehow manage to beat the dubs, it'll likely be Kerry in the semi-final. It's out of the frying pan and into the fire, but we're at the business end of the of the of the competition now so Cork weren't going to get any more kind of favourable draws if you want to put it that way after playing Loud and Limerick in, in the last couple of games this is a huge test for Cork and the reality is it looks like it, it's going to be a test too much for this young developing Cork team that they'll travel to Croke Park with hope and obviously wanting to win the game they'll fully believe that they'll win the game but if you're looking at the cold hard facts like it's it's very hard to envisage uh a, a Cork win. It would be a huge upset, one of the biggest upsets in, in, in recent times in the championship, given where these two teams are at. And I know the Dubs are relegated down to Division 2 this year, but I think against Kildare in um, in, in Leinster, we started to see kind of glimmers of the real the real Dublin, you know, what they're all about. Like, they hit Kildare for five goals. It was a five, five or six goals. I think it was five. Just kind of, it was electric football at the time, and that's what this Cork team is coming up against. So, huge test for for Cork, but they're in the last eight on merit. Um, they've beaten Loud and Limerick. It's that's just, just look at a draw. You know, kind of people might say it's it's a soft way to get to the all two division two sides from next year. Yeah, yeah, but like that, that's not Cork's problem that that that, uh, that they're drawn to play Loud and Limerick. That's just the look of the draw. Um, so they're they're there on merit. Um, 
I think they're in bonus territory now, considering where that game was, where they were at the start of the year, and they were battling for survival in Division Two. But what they're getting now, Jack, is they're getting more and more championship games, and that's that's brilliant for the for for the young players on the Cork team, but even for the Cork team in general to develop, to put their plan in place, and almost put the building blocks in place this year for next year and the year after, where we want to see more progression. Like you could almost give Cork a free pass this year, considering new management, huge turnover of players. So many young players thrown in at the deep end, but they're now getting these championship games. So I think that will help them going forward. They have a free pass, I think, against Dublin. No matter if they lose, well, no one expected them to win. If they win, Jesus, there'll be huge celebrations all across football country in in, in, in Cork. But um, there's no denying, huge, huge challenge ahead. Well, let's go and get the thoughts on all of that from 2010 All-Ireland winning Cork footballer, John Hayes. John, I just want to get your thoughts on the venue for the quarterfinal against Dublin first before we chat about Cork against Limerick last weekend. So this All-Ireland quarterfinal is fixed for Croke Park on Saturday week, 6pm throw-in. I put up a tweet earlier this week and there was huge engagement with it. Not all agreeing with my view, but I was just highlighting the, the, I suppose the huge distance that West Cork fans will have to travel to Croke Park on, on that Saturday night for a 6pm throw-in and the fact that it's obviously the early hours of Sunday morning before they'll even get back back close to home. So I know there's almost two trains of thought here. Like for players, they want to play in Croke Park. It's it's the GA headquarters. It's it's the top venue in the in the in the country, and players want to play there. But for but for fans, it seems like there's a missed opportunity here to do something different, John. Uh, yeah, look, there is. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I believe it's something to do with you know obligations to. To premium ticket holders and, and corporate sponsors and, and the rest of it that uh, these games are all in Croke Park but like I think this issue has been broached a few times before and it should have probably been flagged and foreseen other years to give to give the GA some flexibility around the venues and the fixtures at this stage um you know like you're talking about number one the, the time issue for for people from Cork in, in terms of heading to Dublin especially anyone west of the west of the city uh with the cost the cost of it now just driving and also for people who might want to look it's a six o'clock on a, a saturday evening i'm sure people would love to to stay at the night as well but the, i think the cost of hotels in, in dublin is, is well flagged now at this stage as well that that would make it not an option for for a lot of people as well so um yeah i think a little bit of foresight in in, in some of the other years could have could have um could have been used and you know it'd be nice if this game i know i know from speaking to people I know in Dublin that the, the Dublin GA forums were all on board a, a trip to Cork or even, you know, a, a fixture in Thurles as well. Cork and Cork and Dublin and Thurles would, would, would be a great occasion and would bring the, you know, a championship buzz around, you know, to, to the smaller um, smaller towns and, and cities into the in, in the country as well. So, yeah, look, I, I think this needs to be kind of maybe flagged for future years as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that maybe we need to give give ourselves a little bit of flexibility around um, the games at this stage of the championship that they don't all have to be in Croke Park because anything less than anything less than forty fifty thousand in, in Croke Park and it, it just doesn't generate the same atmosphere or the same buzz. And you're right, the the cost of going to Dublin for for people needs to be needs to be factored in now as well. Um, so yeah, it is it is possibly an opportunity lost. And I think look. They could have put Kerry and Mayo and Limerick, Cork, Cork and Dublin, either in Parky Keeve or Thurles. And, um, you know, you would have had two great occasions there as well. So, yeah, opportunity last and maybe something that needs to be flagged. I understand the need to promote the games in Croke Park and everything else, but it doesn't promote the games in Croke Park when when the when the venue is, you know, only a quarter full or, or, or thereabouts. So... Um, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you there, but uh, I think it just takes a little bit of foresight. And you know, if, if if deals have to be struck with premium ticket holders and corporate ticket holders about something else, then you know, there's always a, there's always a way to do these things. So the good news from a Cork point of view is that Cork are in the All Ireland quarterfinals, are in the last day of the football championship, and that wasn't a, that wasn't a situation or scenario we could have foreseen if you go back to the early days of the the National League this year. So. Um, read out a quote that Brian Hurley said after the win against Limerick last weekend he said I don't think this is bonus territory we are back where we want to be 
I don't want to start that argument with Brian Hurley because Brian would win that argument hands down, John. But I do think this is bonus territory for for this Cork football team, given where they were in the National League. This is a team that finished sixth in Division 2, 14th overall, just survived relegation to Division 3 by beating Offaly and Down in their last two games. So for this Cork team to be in the last state of the All-Ireland Senior Football Championship, for for me, from where I'm standing, it looks like bonus territory. But what's what's your thoughts on it? Yeah, well, I suppose you've got the difference between being a commentator on something and, and someone who's directly involved. Um, there's no way Brian can be looking at it and saying it's bonus territory. And, you know, as someone who was involved as a player and, and last year's selector, I, w- I wouldn't look at it as bonus territory either. Um, you know, particularly the way the draw worked out, um, we would be expecting to, to beat Loud and, and beat Limerick as well. Uh, so we are where we should be. Um we obviously have a, a huge task in hand with with, with the dubs, um, but it, it look it, it is where Cork should be there thereabouts. You know, um, okay, it's been a it's been a difficult couple of years, difficult few years. But what you've had this year in the early stages of the league, I think you had a, a new management involved, obviously taking over and, and trying to make their assessment. I think towards the end of the league, and you know, just even from watching from the outside, it was something that was crying out. You could see that. Okay, we've got three very, very talented inside forwards in, in Stephen Sherlock, uh, Colomani, and Brian Hurley. Um, and, you know, some good players on the bench too, but those three in particular are all individually extremely talented. So it, it was about creating a system that would get the best out of them while also shoring up the defence to an extent as well. So the kind of um, the rest of the team kind of maybe. Um, playing in a more defensive system, and those three guys up up as your top um, as your top three players uh, ha- has suited Cork. Now I don't think I don't think they fired to the same extent last weekend as they're capable of, and I would like to see them link up a little bit better as well. You know, you know as I said, they're three of them are individually excellent, um, but if they can link up a little bit more as well, then then those three have the uh, capability to cause cause trouble for for any team. Um, so yeah, I think the management looked at it and made their assessment halfway through, and you could see it. Uh, I think uh, from uh, the latter latter couple of games in the league, when when they needed the results, that they set up the system where where whereby the half forward line was coming deeper, and you had uh, the three guys in a kind of a little triangle up inside the forty five, and it has been reasonably effective. I think there's there's more in it. I think one thing potentially that we possibly need to introduce is a little bit more physicality and size into the half forward line. Um, you know, all three are all three are fine footballers, uh, but in terms of the modern game um, and, and the way the game is played now, and especially if you look at you know the half back line that, that Dublin have, I have a screen screen in front of me. I think John Small, Brian Howard, James McCarthy, um, three big men, three powerful men. Um, so we possibly need you know a little bit more size there. I think in uh, in, in the game as, as it is today wing forwards are nearly auxiliary midfielders a lot of the time and and maybe that's not the strength of, of the three lads that we have in there at the moment so that's possibly one area that we could strengthen just in terms of trying to block things up against Dublin to, to make sure they don't uh, run through you and run over you so what we have seen too John in the last couple of weeks is this Cork team has certainly progressed there's been definite progress there from where they were to start the league to where they, they are now with Paddy Kelly on the, the podcast a couple of weeks ago. And he was saying that if Cork are to go out in this championship, because they have to go out to a team that are better than them. And I was talking to him before the game against Loud. He was saying that Cork should beat Loud. And we were looking at last week, Cork should beat Limerick because they were two Division Three teams, Cork are Division Two, And I know, um, I know that both Loud and Limerick have come up, but it's important for Cork to beat teams at their own level. Like That's so important for the development of this team. So have you seen that progress in, in the last couple of games? And even stretching back into those games against Down and Offaly, they were must-win games for the Cork footballers to avoid relegation, and they won those games as well. So there is progress in that. There is progress, yeah. Uh, there, there is progress. And look, uh, to be honest, for, for 50 minutes, 45, 50 minutes against Kerry, I thought we were we were very good um, and we set up really well, worked our socks off. I, I thought the biggest issue then and towards the end of that game when Kerry took over is that we just couldn't get our hands on our own kickouts. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I, look, I just kind of bring back the, 
point about a little bit of size in, in the half forward line, a little bit of support. I think that day, you know, Ian Maguire was playing with one hand uh, and Colm O'Callaghan was the only other real target for the kick out, which when, when Kerry pressed it. So, um, you know, if Dublin press uh, or kick out again, we're going to need a couple of other targets. I think I think Brian Hayes might have had a vomiting bug at the weekend, from from what I'm told, uh, which is why wasn't he he wasn't involved at all. Um, so he could be an option. Beyond that, in terms of bringing in a bit of size and strength, I know Brian Hartnett is injured. I think Killian O'Hanlon is back playing a little bit. Perhaps doesn't have enough done in terms of uh, being involved against Dublin. But those are kind of. Those are, are, are the kind of players that I, I'd be looking at to, to get involved. Uh, they'll bring a bit of extra physicality around, around the, the pitch. Um, and even, look, the next day, I know I kind of said about three up front. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if one more dropped deep. And if, for me, if, if, for, of that one, I'd, be ta- I'd probably be talking about Brian Hurley. Bring him out as a kind of an auxiliary centre forward. Uh, play at the tip of your, of your press, I suppose. And that... Uh, you know he he does tackle well and he tackles hard and he and he works hard. So out of those, it, it's it's potential that you kind of have to cut your cloth to to suit your measure against the Dubs. But uh, in terms of what we've done so far and progress in the last couple of games, I think I think it's been reasonable without being exceptional. I think like like I said, the fifty minutes against Kerry was very good, but there was a very very um, disappointing last twenty in in that as well. And you know got well beaten in, in the end. Um, loud game. I watched on my phone in the airport. It was, it was tough to, to get a real sense of it. But look, I mean, loud the way they set up, you know, it was kind of extraordinary to see when a ball would be won by a Cork defender 30, 40 yards from his own goal and just the whole entire other team just actually turned their backs on it and sprinted back towards goal. So it was strange. Um, and, you know, a sloppy goal let load back into that game. And again, it was probably tighter than it should have been. And I think it was similar against Limerick. I thought, you know, Limerick, being at the game last day, there was a lot of space there. There was a lot of space to hit. There was space for our three inside forwards, the, the three guys that I mentioned. And we didn't use it to great effect um, until the black card. You know, it was like Limerick, Limerick played one sweeper. Um, but there was plenty of times, uh, I remember, you know, Sean Potter got a brilliant turnover in the first half right in front of us and we had a counter-attack on, but, but we just ran with the heads down and, and never looked to hit the inside ball. The one the one time we did it, the first time I can remember we did it, was all Max Sweeney to call Manny, turns his man and he's in on goal and he buries it. So, you know, I'd like to see us vary, vary the game a, a little bit more and try and um, hit hit the guys inside a little, a little bit earlier when it's on to do so. Um, so, look, there has been a little bit of prospect or, or progress um, but I think John Fury has said himself we've kind of we've stumbled through through the games. Um, so there are green shoots, but you know it's going to take another couple of levels of performance upwards, even just to be competitive against Dublin. I, I, I think Cork football people are, are realistic coming into this game, in that you know our odds of winning are are pretty low, but we want to be competitive, and then you want to give yourself a chance. In the Kerry game, we gave ourselves a chance, but we didn't. We didn't finish the game in the in the last twenty as we should. You know, if they can do something similar against Dublin, and then you know, keep keep us within touching distance into the late stages, and you just never know. Then, um, albeit, look, uh, I think most people will expect Dublin to to pull away in the end, but um, I think we have to be competitive. Um, we have to look for a good performance because. You know, it needs needs the positivity around Cork football, and it needs to. You know, if 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 it ends up, and it, it's another ten points and more beating, you know, we're just we're a little bit a little bit deflated again. But um, I'd be hopeful if the, if if we can get our defensive setup correct, and uh, you know, release the two or three guys up front, that we, we can certainly mm-hmm. uh, put it up to Dublin. But it, it, it is a huge ask at the same time. You're almost preempted my next question. Well, you have preempted it, John. It's just, what can this Cork team do to, I suppose, ask questions of Dublin to cause Dublin some headaches? And you touched on Colin Manny, Brian Hurley, and Stephen Sherlock. They are three top-class forwards and they're capable of, of hurting any any team in, in the country. But as much maligned as this Dublin team have been this year and they've been relegated out of Division 2 next year, I think they showed against, against Kildare just what they're capable of and the I suppose to, to be realistic Dublin aren't firing yet there's probably more to come from them so they'll see this as a as an opportunity for them to almost launch their All-Ireland bid heading into the semi-finals and possibly final for, for the Dubs so what can Cork do to, to keep themselves in this game and 
to be coming down the home stretch, 10 minutes to go, and to be with a couple of points and being with a shout of causing a huge upset. Mm. Yeah, look, I think I touched on it. Um, whatever three they started in the half hour line, look, if it's it's the same three guys again, look, they're all they're all good footballers, but um, they need to be more physical than what they have been. Um, they they need to to block it up. As I said, I'd bring probably Brian up to the to the centre forward position and get him to be the the first guy uh, line of defence. Really, no, everyone has to defend. Obviously, Cahill and Stephen have their responsibility too, but. Primarily, you'll be looking to try and keep them them two guys inside, um, and then Brian out out a little bit. As I said, he's he's quite physical, and he he'll get, he'll get stuck in. Um, and then the half forward line probably even have to they probably have to be you know they have to be goal side of the midfield really, and and trying to uh, block that up as well. Uh, so you've got to stop the Dublin runners. You've got like the half the half back line that I talked about. It, John Small, Brian Howard, James McCarthy, then Brian Fenton and Tom Lehigh midfield. And look, Keon Kilkenny Keon Kenny then runs the show from centre forward a lot of the time. And, and the full forward line is pretty handy then as well in, in Costello, Callaghan and Dean Rock. So it, it is a huge ask. There, there's no kind of, there's no one can come on here and say this is what Cork will do and it'll be fine. But you have to try and close the channels from, from their runners get a few tackles in, get a few turnovers, frustrate them. Make If Keon Kilkenny is getting ball around the 45 and he's got space, he'll do wrecks. Sometimes, sometimes when Dublin haven't been at their best in the last few years, he's been getting the ball on the midfield side or on his own, in his own half, and he's less effective there. So, you know, if that if we can force that to happen, it'll be progress for Cork. So, you know, I'd expect Cork to play with quite a low defensive block and, and maybe instead of the three ups or, Three up that we've been having. It might be just two in, in this in this occasion. Um, stop the runners. Try and uh, make sure that don't get qualities fly into that full forward line, which is deadly as well. But um, that's what they've got to do. They've got to like look back at their carry performance and look at it. Target the first half to say we we need a huge huge effort in, in this first half to try and keep this contained and tight, um, and then hope that in the second half that the bench can, can make an impact as well. So it's, it, it is a tall, it's a tall order, but, um, you know, not, nothing's impossible in sport either. You mentioned there about Cork setting up with a low, a low defensive block against Dublin. That's probably very important because if we're looking at the scores that Cork have coughed up during the league and even 116 against um, Limerick the last day. And if you look back to the league, I think Cork had the worst defensive record of any team in all four divisions, which is a, an area for concern. And you've mentioned there that, uh, that Dublin uh, full forward line, which is just, packed for the scores and, and match winners. So do Cork have the defence and the players to really hold a team like Dublin or one of those top tier teams? We saw what Kerry did in the Munster semi-final when they got a, a run on Cork in the last 15 minutes. I think they did a real off 12 points or scored Cork maybe 12 points to one or something along that lines when they had the players coming off the bench and so on. But defensively, are Cork good enough yet? You know, I know it's a work in progress, but are Cork good enough yet to really kind of hold one of the top, top teams? Um, look, you, you always want to be positive and look, like I said, I was involved last year, so I know a lot of the guys and, you know, I have good time for them and, and they're good players. I think, look, you know, I mentioned the lack of physicality in, in the half hour line. It, it applies to our defence a little bit as well, you know. Um, we have a lot of guys on the tidier side. Um, you know, I just, gotta, just made a point to a few people, like when, when I was involved back in the noughties and, and, and the 2010 team, you know, I was I was pretty much one of the three or four smallest guys on the panel. Um, when I was involved last year as a selector, I was I was bigger than most of them, so or a good lot of them. So, um, you know, a, a little bit of lacking in size and physicality is an issue for this Cork team. You know, you can't change that overnight, and we ha- we have the players that we have coming into the next game. I thought, to be fair, um, I thought the full back line was excellent the last day, even though look Limerick did create a lot of chances and missed a good few chances, especially in the first half. But I thought that was kind of Maybe they were they were working it through around the the, the half back line as opposed to the full back line. I thought the full back line were excellent. Kevin was outstanding. Morris was very good, and Sean Potter was excellent as well. So, um, you know, those three guys have stood up and done well. Um, like I said, they probably need a bit more protection from from out the field and and, and from the half hour line. The half hour line the next day, you know, they obviously have to play ball as well. But their their first job is to is to protect our back six as well and try and block up the runners. I know Jano, Jano is very good at that. I know Dano, Dano has been working very, very hard to him as well. Um, I, I'm not totally convinced that he's a wing forward, especially not in, in the 
in the way football is played today. And look, Owen, Owen McSweeney, I was very happy for him too as well, the way he played the last day and the couple of scores they got and what he created. Uh, but, but I would kind of reiterate the point about just a bit of physicality to stop stop the doves as required. So um, I'm sure the management will be will be looking at that and considering their options and they have to, to look at what, what options they have to bring in off the bench. As I said, Brian Hayes could be one. I think so when Tony Killian has played a little bit of club football. Is it too soon? Probably, but... He's the he, he's the kind of um, player I, I'd be thinking about in, in order of um, at least maybe he can come on and get 15 20 minutes out of him. But uh, defensively, look, um, we have been you know coughing up a lot of big scores, so we can't kind of reject the, the evidence of our eyes. Uh, you can't back them to go one on one with with this Dublin forward line. Um, so yeah, like I said, it's probably a game where we have to set up a little bit closer to goal um, with with a lower defensive block again. Um, and look to keep the dubs on the on the periphery on the outside and going backwards and sideways as opposed to once they start running through and look, I remember that from 2014 2015 or when I was back involved that time you know when you're on the pitch and they're they're taking off they're just once they go their heart stops so you kind of have to make sure your goal side and you're in, in the right position to start with as opposed to trying to chase after them Final question. So, John, and just from this this chat alone, I'm kind of sensing that you are more encouraged what you've seen in from in Cork in recent games compared to where you are at the start of the year. You mentioned the word green shoots. Obviously, there's a long road ahead of this Cork team to get back to contending for for the big big prizes. So, but what from what you have seen, and you are in Parky Cueve as we begin for the, for the Limerick game, are you more encouraged and optimistic that this team is on the right path? Um. Yeah. Look, I think it's. It's a case of it's progressing a, a little bit slowly. I mean, I think we've been having this conversation, Kieran, and you know, a similar question has been asked. I don't know how many times over the last five, four, five, six, seven years. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think the management have come in and and and, and done a pretty good job so far. Um, like I said, I think the system that we've set up probably suits the personnel we have at the moment. Um, so there is progress. There's certainly talent there. Um, we have to kind of keep trying to develop it. Um, and look, we being back in Grove Park, I think it's the first time we're in Grove Park since 2014, I think, um, since we lost to Mayo. Uh, so that's, you know, that's a positive for, for the group. But those positives need to be, need to be backed up by a good performance on, on Saturday week. Um, because, you know, if they can be competitive, if they can rattle the dubs and, you know, and the off chance that they might pull off a huge surprise, that kind of thing is huge for Cork football, absolutely huge. And it just gives a, gives a boost that uh, I think the football in Cork uh, really badly needs. Um, so some positives, yeah, definitely. Um, moving slowly in the right direction, but I don't think we can be um, satisfied either. We have to be, you know, we have to be looking looking forward. I think, to be fair, I think I get that sense from John Cleary. He does, he's not happy just to go up to Dublin and, and make up the numbers and say that's progress and we look for next year. Um, he understands it as well as anyone from, from his time when he was a player. He was in Dublin every year for, for All-Ireland All Ireland Finals for a while. So, you know, I, I, I've no doubt that's his ambition for Cork. And, and that's what the ambition in Cork should be, is that we, we would be regular contenders and getting back among, amongst the, the top tier of, of, of football teams. Because, look, we're not there at the moment, but... That's where that's where we need to be. That's where we want to be. And um, you know, I'd be hopeful that if we can produce performance Saturday week, you know, it's it's another step along the road to to putting us back in in that position. Great stuff, John. Thanks for joining us. All right, no worries, Ken. Delighted to be joined by Avril Condell of Access Credit Union, who's here to tell us a little bit about cultivate farm finance so avril maybe just give us a brief introduction to what cultivate farm finance actually is so cultivate is a collaboration of 40 credit unions uh, throughout ireland and um, west cork has both access credit union and bantry credit union uh, the loan itself is up to seventy-five thousand unsecured uh, for seven years is the max term but obviously can be uh, personalized and customized to each individual's needs um, it's a great facility actually for, for farmers um, because it covers cash flow, um, machinery purchases, like there's a fertilizer crisis now as we know. Um, so literally anything that is required for the farm can be covered by this loan. The, the rate is very competitive. 
uh, we can match the, the repayment term and the um, repayment frequency to each individual farmer, depending on their enterprise. Um, and you also have the benefit of the life cover that comes with the credit union loan, which I think is very important for people these days at no extra cost. And if I'm a farmer and I'm listening to you on this podcast today, how can I get involved? So if you're not sure of which credit union um, you're involved with, you can go to Cultivate Credit Union directly, which is www.cultivate-cu.ie or you can phone 1800-839-999. And if Access is your credit union, you can contact me directly. So it's avril at accesscu.ie or you can ring me on 085-268-2727. Lips, Lydia Heafy will be part of the Irish rowing team that's heading to Poznan in Poland for the World Cup 2 which gets underway this week and Kieran, you've been catching up with Lydia who as many people will know was a reserve at last year's Olympic Games so it's a big season for Lydia ahead 100% uh, it's the second World Cup of the year it's World Cup 2 in Poznan it starts in on, starts on Thursday this week and it'll run through to Sunday so Rowing Ireland didn't send crews to the opening uh, World Cup regatta a couple of weeks back so this is the international season debut for the Irish and skib rowers and we have four skib rowers going there we have Lydia Heafy like you said there she's in the lightweight women's double with Mags Kremen we have Fintan McCarthy and Gary O'Donovan are both going in lightweight men's singles, not a double, which is important to note. And we also have Olympic bronze medalist Emily Hegarty. She's going to team up with Fiona Murta in the women's pair. And Emily and Fiona were both in the women's four that won bronze at last year's Olympics, but they're going to compete in the pair this week in Poznan. Um, for, for, for Lydia, she was reserved at the Olympics last year for Aoife Casey and other skip roar. And Meg's Crimin. And that's always, it's always very tough for a, a, a reserve at an Olympics. When we're talking to Timmy Harnady and another skip roar years ago, he was reserved um, back in 2004 at the Olympics in Athens. And he, he found it a, a, a pretty tough gig, to be quite honest, because um, you're there at the Olympics, but you're not there really because you're not actually doing what you want to do. You're, you're not trying to compete. Well, you're, you want to compete, sorry, but you're not competing. So you're, you're kind, of, kind of watching on. So um, for, for Lydia now, her aim is to win a place in that Irish women's lightweight double. And there's a strong crew there at the moment, um, a strong pool of, of rowers there with the likes of Megs Crimmon and Aoife Casey. And it's Megs and Lydia who've got the nod for World Cup 2 um, this week. So it's a chance for Lydia to kind of just to lay down a marker for the for the season ahead, because this is a big year again. In the for the for the Skibreen Roars, we have the European Rowing Championships in August, and then the month after, we have the World Rowing Championships. So, two two big events, and we've got to remember too, this is a shorter Olympic cycle than before. Obviously, the Olympics is every four years, but the next Olympics in Paris is only in 2024, and that's only a couple of years away. So, it's a three year Olympic cycle for the Roars. And once we get to next year, the Olympic qualification process starts for the rowers so this year is a chance for the likes of Lydia to stake her claim and get herself into that Irish lightweight women's double and then it's up to either either Aoife or Megs to knock Lydia out so the competition is already hotting up so as you'll hear from Lydia now she's looking forward to the action in Poland this week we're joined now on the Star Sport podcast by Lydia Heafy to have a, a chat about the international rowing season, which is kicking off in earnest for the Skibbereen Roars this week with World Cup 2 in Poznan. Uh, first off, welcome to the podcast, Lydia. Thanks, Karen. Thanks for having me. Like I said, it's World Cup 2 in Poznan this week, and that's where the action gets underway. But before we talk about that, talk me through the winter and the block of training that you've gone through and how excited you are for the season ahead. Yeah, so like obviously, um, obviously after the Olympic year last year and stuff, you know, people took a bit of downtime and took time for themselves and I kind of went working part time in a legal farm in Bantry. Um, so I got to train in Skibreen with, you know, the kids in the club and get coached by Denise, which is kind of a great kind of a, a break from kind of the being stuck in the wrong centre and the kind of very kind of clinical side of the sport. Um, but, you know, it kind of kind of gave me a chance to fall back in love with the sport and kind of have a bit of fun with it. And, you know, it kind of just brought a bit of brought a bit more hunger back into me to kind of hit the ground running again for the next the next Olympic cycle, which is only three years long this time. So 
it's going to come around quite quick. But um, no, like the we did a really big winter, like in we went on a training camp in November, we went to a training camp at Christmas, and we went um, to Italy as well just a few weeks ago. Um, and we raced every regatta over in Italy as well, the Pedaluco regatta. So we've had a really, really good block of training. And um, we've kind of, especially the girls, we've kind of upped our training a lot this year. We kind of copied a lot more of what the lads did last year, I think. So we're going to try and really poke our nose into doing quite well this year. So it's exciting for sure. How much did you enjoy spending that time back at Skibbering Rowing Club, back in the River Island? Because that's where your love affair with the sport started in the first place. So to get a, a block of time back there again, like you said, like uh, Denise Walsh is there, kind of she's sharing her knowledge now as a coach and stuff. Like how much did you enjoy kind of getting in touch with where it all started? Oh, like it was, I think it was a big kind of, it was quite a game changer for me this year, especially because like I was finished college this year, I had a lot of stuff going on and I kind of didn't really know where I wanted to land. I didn't know if I wanted to work full time, roll full time, or I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So to even just come home and back to the base and kind of back to where it all started, it kind of made me realise that like, you know, I still really love the sport for what it is and I really want to try and do something special and even going out with the kids and, you know, kind of rowing with them and kind of seeing how much they looked up to me and it kind of made me feel like, you know, I'm not finished here yet. I have a lot more to do. And Denise is great in her own club. She's really like brought the club on leaps and bounds. And she kind of guided me throughout the winter and she kind of gave me a lot of hope and um, for what's to come. And, you know, I think kind of just her presence in their own club as well has brought them on leaps and bounds this year. So they went to Ghent, I think, a few weeks ago and they came back with a heap of medals and they don't have a gap in Drina. So like they're really coming up, up and up and up with Denise being there. And, you know, I think just for me, especially, I have a lot of, respecting Denise and I kind of the time she gave me she really kind of just helped me get back on track for the next cycle it seems like the fire is burning inside you Lydia this year like are you ready to hit the water running pardon the pun uh, this week in Poznan yeah definitely like you know I suppose um my first ever international race was actually with Mags and Lightweight Double at the under 22 World Championships in 2018 in Poznan so for my first like kind of senior event with her to be back in Poznan it is like I don't know Bit of a sign of hope, I don't know, just a lot of things have seemed to be going our way and have seemed to be going quite right recently. So, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, we've put in the work now and we've trained hard and we've done a lot of racing and, you know, we're seeing kind of good results in training. So hopefully we can try and replicate it as best we can um, in Poznan. And, you know, we're kind of a new Dublin in a sense and, you know, there's a, quite a lot of new people out there. There's a lot of new crews. So a lot of it's quite an unknown, but I think that kind of leave a big opportunity for us to try and make our mark on the season early on. You mean you're there, Mags Crimmins. So it's important to note that, that Lydia is in the Irish Women's Lightweight Double with Megs at, at World Cup 2 um, this week. And that Irish Lightweight Double was a double that went to the Olympics last year. And Aoife Casey was at Megs and, and they finished, I think, was it seven or eight overall, which was an, an incredible achievement. But this is the only lightweight women's boat and the Paris Olympics is only 2024. So even though we're a couple of years out, Lydia, is is the battle already on to get those seats in, in, in the boat and try and stake a claim for, for Paris? I think, I think especially, I'd say it is, to be honest, like, you know, I suppose the battle has always been there. Um, long before this, you know, like last year, like I missed out on, I think it was point two or three of a second of even making it over last year. Um, you know, so it's always been very close and, you know, I've always been in thereabouts and, you know, to kind of, you know, I was kind of second early on in the trials this year and Aoife couldn't do the last trial because she got sick and things. But, you know, it's a great kind of start for me and Meg to kind of just see where we're at. And um, it'll be a good indicator where the group is at general because we're quite close um, as a whole. So like how me and Meg do probably would be quite similar to how Aoife and Meg would do. Like we're very, very close in times with each other. Um, we train together all the time. So the competition between us can get, you know, quite intense, especially like, you know, we know where each other is at every day. So, you know, I think it's it's def- the fire's definitely burning in all of us. Um, I don't know who's going to be in the double at the end of the season. It could change again. It could change next year. It could change the year of the Olympics. You know, it's very, very tight at the moment. So we just have to wait and see. And hopefully the competition between all of us will produce a really fast double that will be a good contender um, for Paris, which is the ultimate goal. Because this World Cup regatta in Poznan, like it is a chance for your Megs to show what you can do together. And we're looking later in the summer too, we have the European Championships, we have the World Championships. I know there'll be obviously the crew selection before that, but there's a chance for yourself and Megs to lay down a marker in Poznan. Definitely, yeah. Like, you know, 
it's definitely like going in is kind of a we're kind of a new double so there's like not much expectations on previous results that we have but at the same time we have a lot of high expectations on ourselves and what we want to achieve like we know on paper the USA came forth at the Olympics so they would be obviously the ones to beat they'll be the favourites after regatta so they're a good marker but aside from them um there it's a lot of new crews and um, it's all quite unknown what speeds they're at and how we are compared to them so you know it's it, it'll definitely be exciting and whatever result we get you know i think so long as we race our best and we put everything out there we'll be happy with it and it'll be a good starting point to see like where can we progress um later on in the cycle and the next races to come so yeah looking past positive for a second so what is the plan like i mentioned there like it's quite a busy summer the europeans are august i think the worlds are after that as well so there's some huge regattas coming up so do you know what the plan is after poznan yeah so we have the plan is after poznan we kind of have when we come home we've like kind of two or three weeks of kind of training and trials and racing to select the crews for the european championships and the world championships so the europeans are on I think the first week of August in Duisburg, or no, is it no Munich in Germany? That's where the Europeans run. And I think it's a European game. So I think there's athletics on, there's kind of a whole different range of sports on that weekend, but that's where the Europeans run. And then from there, we go on a training camp to Spain and prepare for the World Championships, which are the second and third week of September. Um, so we kind of have two big regattas coming up. So they kind of this is kind of the start of the season um, and then we come home with our final selections then for the two European and World Championships. So it's going to be quite a, a hectic summer ahead but it, it starts with World Cup 2 in Poznan and bearing in mind we're talking out the weekend before the event so and this podcast will be out on Tuesday but can you talk me through what a week is like at a, at, at a big international regatta like in Poznan so you fly out on Tuesday and how does the, the rest of the schedule work out then? Yeah, so we kind of fly out on Tuesday um, and then kind of Wednesday we kind of do a few kind of race prep pieces when we're over there um, and we do kind of a short paddle in the evening and then Thursday then we do a short paddle again on the course and racing starts on Friday. Um, and then kind of being a lightweight, you know, you kind of just watch your weight and watch what you're eating a few days before the race. Um, and it's just kind of about just really just fine tuning things and just get, making sure everything is prepared and organised and ready so that when you wake up Friday morning for the heats, like all you have to do is get up and go and race, really. Um, Dominic's very good at preparing the boats. He polished the boats and he gets the oars ready and he weighs the boats and makes sure all that stuff is organised so we don't even have to think about that stuff. It's just about getting ourselves organised and ready as best as we can. Um, so we just try and keep it simple and not get too overwhelmed by the environment, really, is the big thing. But you're getting more and more experience at these bigger gatas. And it was World Rowing Cup 2 last year, albeit in Lucerne, that you won your first senior international medal. You finished second in the lightweight women's single skulls A final. And I remember talking to you after that, Lydia. That was a quite a significant moment for you. Like that was a real boost to come home with that medal. Yeah, definitely. Like, you know, like when I look back on last year, I was obviously disappointed to not make the double um, and go to the Olympics. Like I went as the reserve, I didn't get to go and race, obviously. So, you know, I think that medal for me, it really just showcased like what I had put into that year. And it was something for me to to show and hold up and say, I earned this. And, you know, everything I put into this year hasn't been wasted. I have a medal in my hand. And, you know, it really meant, I don't think people understand like how much it means because it was just, it was just the one thing I had from last year, even though it was a year full of disappointments in one sense. I still walked away with a medal and I'm still very proud of that. So, you know, it was a great breakthrough. And I think just even kind of that feeling like I don't, that's kind of why I feel like, you know, I'm not finished with this yet. Even don't know what the next few years will hold or what the next year gaffes will hold. But, you know, you're constantly searching and wanting that feeling again of being on top. So. Yeah, And I suppose we should talk about the Olympics. Like you said there, you went as a reserve to Aoife and Megs were in the Irish women's lightweight double. So talk to me about that Olympic experience. Named it as the reserve, went to, went to the Games. Was it enjoyable being part of it all? Or was it hard not being able to row and show what you can do considering you were so close to getting in that boat? Yeah, do you know, it's, I suppose it's a bittersweet. Like it's a great, it's a great kind of, you know, it's a great experience and you get to go. And technically, I suppose I'm an Olympian and I went, but like, you know, you didn't get to sit in that Saturday in a race. You have to sit there and watch everybody else do it, you know. So it is it is quite a bittersweet moment, but I think I just have to accept that for some reason or other, that wasn't my time to race. Um, and, you know, hopefully my time will come. I just have to be patient and just keep chipping away and hopefully it will come eventually. Having an experience like that as well, do you think it will kind of help those fires burn even stronger and even push for, for you to, to, to give it absolutely everything? I'm not saying that you never have. Of course you have, but... <laughs> To, to do everything that's possible for, for Paris, like that you, 
you've seen what what it takes to be an Olympian. You were so so close to getting in that boat, and Paris is only two years away. So you're going to do your utmost to get in that boat. Yeah, definitely. Like, and I think you know we have such a great group around. Is like I think the biggest thing I took from last year is I saw kind of what. Paul and Finton did to get their gold medal and what training they did and how they approached every regatta, how they approached their recovery, how they approached everything. And to be around people like that daily, like, you know, it really does kind of open your eyes up to like, okay, this is what I need to do. I need to step up my game to make sure that's going to be me in three years time. So, you know, it's great to have them around you and them sharing their knowledge and, you know, things like that. So I think that's really like, I think especially with like our group of girls, myself, Max and Nifa, like we're really stepping it up this year and just trying to, you know, just make a break for it um, and see what will happen. So it's like, I think just pushing the boundaries all the time on our bodies and our training and, you know, just trying to get the most out of each other. Um, and hopefully we'll have a fast double in 2024, whoever's in it. But yeah. I always find it very interesting, idea to kind of, when you're talking about the dynamic of that lightweight training group, obviously you're talking about the lads, you've, you've uh, Gary and Paul brothers, you've Finton and Jake brothers, and the four lads are batting to get into the two seats in, in, in the men's double. Then look at the women's double for a second. There's yourself and Aoife, both from Skib, um, Skibberine Rowan Club, then Megs as well, and you all know each other so well. So how competitive is that battle to get in the boat? Um, like it is very competitive, like, you know, and I suppose we're like, we're great friends through, but like when you're on the water, it's just like, you know, hats are off, like we're going out there to kill each other, you know, even like not even amongst myself, Max and Aoife, even like say, we'd be training a lot with Finton at the moment because he would be the same speed as us in the double as he's in the singles. So every session we go out, we're trying to be Finton and kill Finton off every session, you know, so it's just cutting chunks off each other every day as much as we can. And, you know, but I think... Like when we're off the water then, you know, we're kind of friend, friendly enough, I suppose. <laughs> but um, no, like, you know, I think it, you know, we kind of, we kind of need it because I think that's really pushing us, especially when it's like training in the wrong centre. It's very isolated. Um, you know, it's very kind of eat, sleep, row, repeat. So to kind of have that competition with each other, it's like it really pushes you through all the winter training. And, you know, we kind of know it, it's great to have like them around you as well because, if for some reason you're struggling on a day and you're tired, like if someone else kind of, they would be there motivating you and pushing you on to beat them or, you know, and you kind of, you don't, you wouldn't want to miss any session because if you do, you're going to know that they're going to do it better in Cork or something. So it is a great motivator as well. So I think it can be intense and it can be tough, but it does produce really good results. So, you know, you, you're going to do anything to try and get that gold medal. So. And the one man overseeing it all is the Don of Irish Roan, the Don of Skibbereen Roan, uh, Dominic Casey. And I've asked so many Skibbereen Roan club members over the years, what is it about Dominic that makes him so special? He's an, an, an enigma in many ways. So why do you think Lydia makes Dominic so good? Um, I think the way that he manages his athletes um, would be kind of the, his kind of key thing. So like he's very, he's very simple. He's very kind of, doesn't say too much, but he says just the right things and, you know, even if you're tired, you don't want to train, you like he kind of won't tell you to go and train, but like he'll make you feel so guilty about not doing it that you have to go and do it yourself. And then it's kind of making you come to that realization, I think works better because you're kind of doing it for yourself, but you know, whatever he said to you, it's going to make you feel guilty and disappointed in yourself for not doing it. So he's he's just a really good kind of manager and he kind of gets the best out of everyone. And, you know, even like kind of, you don't have to worry about things when, when he's kind of around, like you don't have to worry about, the training program you don't have to worry about kind of the boat's going to be ready on the day it's going to be polished it's going to be everything's going to be ready to go you just have to go out there and do your best and you know I think it's just kind of those simple things that kind of make the most out of all his athletes so you mentioned earlier on too about you were doing a bit, a bit of as a part-time work um over the winter so you've obviously graduated from UCC in law so what, what is the plan for you was this year going into next year is it trying to combine work and rowing or are you going to kind of focus on rowing or have you have you decided yet what to do Lydia? yeah um I suppose I, I don't know I kind of I was I'm kind of quite a big planner like I love to know what's happening next but I kind of think the next few years I kind of have to go uh, go with the flow a small bit and just kind of go with what's best for me at the moment and at the time that I'm doing it but I found last year like when I was done my law degree and I didn't know what, what I was going to do. I didn't know whether I should go full-time rowing, full-time working. I had no clue. And then I just kind of moved home and I was just chilling out at home and I saw an ad in the start for a legal secretary position in a legal firm in Bantry. And I applied for it and I got it and I just kind of went part-time three days a week and just the mental break from training and going into an office, doing something different, something I was really passionate about and really loved and just kind of living a normal life and seeing other people's stress and worries like, 
who's going to pick the kid up from school or where are they going to get their takeaway like just kind of seeing another perspective in life it really kind of was such a nice mental break for me I think rather than just being full-time training and they're really good inside they kind of they gave me weeks off to go on training camp and you know they really supported me in everything I did so you know I do think I'd like to go back there in the winter if it's possible um probably two or three days a week but I kind of had to give it up in March because we were going away for like four weeks Italy so it was a bit unfair to ask of them for that much time off but just kind of taking a few months off now to focus on racing for the summer and then I'll hopefully try and go back again in October just even for two days a week because I think you need like Dominic always says it as well he was like you can't be wrong full-time all the time like you'll go insane like you need to have an outlet you need to have something and it's really easy to be a student athlete because you can work your studies around your training but it is hard to work a nine-to-five job um, and train around it because I was training in the wrong club before work and after work and you know it, it did keep me on my toes and kept me training because I knew I was at the wrong club at 6pm at night I had to be home by nine so I had to do everything I could within three hours and it did really give me a stable structure for a while when I needed it um, but just as the, the kind of trials and the training got more intense I had to kind of prioritise rowing um, for the summertime but no I think it is it is really important to kind of have a second outlet um, just because it's hard just being mentally it's hard being a full-time athlete for three years going into an Olympic cycle so even just for one or two years I think it's a definitely a good break and even though it, this is the start this we are in the next Olympic cycle I presume it's race by race it's step by step training session by training session until we get closer and closer to Paris and it all starts in Poznan this week so finally yeah. so Lydia what would represent a good result in this in this World Rowing Cup for you and Megs? Um, well, I don't I don't want to jinx anything. I don't want to put any pressure on myself that's already on it. But I suppose we'd hopefully be like looking into getting into A finals for sure. Um, you know, breaking into I think this season like breaking into A finals consistently would be a good step up because next year is qualifier final year and it's only seven to qualify for the Olympic Games and you don't want to be that in the B final trying to get that one last spot to qualify. You want to be in your A final with your qualifying spot for the Olympics secured. So I think, you know, this year getting into A finals consistently would be a really big jump for the group as a whole um, and it'll really kind of put us in a good place going into next year and preparing for qualifiers. So The, the very best of luck this week. We'll all be cheering you on here from Skibbereen. Yeah, thanks very much, Karen. Thanks. Access Credit Union now offers Cultivate Farm Finance and is ready to support local farmers. With a Cultivate loan, farmers in West Cork can benefit from the local decision-making and personal service offered by their credit union. To find out more, go to www.accesscu.ie forward slash cultivate or call on 028-21883. Okay, Kieran. before we wrap up this week's Star Sport podcast, we're going to quickly preview this week's Star Sports section. So give us some of the best things people can look out for this Thursday. We have an interview with Fintan McCarthy in Thursday, Southern Star, so it's, it's well worth checking out. Fintan is just talking about competing in the single in at this week's World Cup 2 in Poznan. And there's also big news regarding the Irish lightweight Irish lightweight men's double and what that will look like for the year ahead so I'm not going to say too more on that but it's well worth checking out this Thursday Southern Star for pretty big news that I haven't seen anywhere else about the lightweight men's Irish double also we have a full page on the West Cork Jesters um, they had a brilliant week at, at Musgrave Park last week they, it was the um, the IMART World Cup and the, the West Cork Jesters they shone on the world stage so Neve Hayes has written a really really nice piece here um, chatting, chatting to the likes of Nobby Dunn, who's one of the founding members of the West Cork Jesters, as as they tell their story. So that that's worth checking out. Also, good things come to those who wait, Jack. And in fairness to Carberry football manager Tim Buckley, he's had to wait a, a couple of years for his first first round win as Carberry senior football manager. But it finally arrived last week when Carberry beat. Immaculee in the opening round of the, the revamped colleges division section. So for the first time since 2017, the Caribbean footballers have won their first open round game in the senior football championship. So we have a full report and reaction from that win, reaction from Captain Colm O'Driscoll and Tim Buckley himself. So that was good news for the, the Caribbean footballers. We also have uh, the Caribbean hurlers were in action on Tuesday night this week. Unfortunately, they lost by a last gasp point to Hello and a kind of a controversial loss at that. So we have a full match report as well. Intercounty season, pretty busy. 
get you can get your Cork v Limerick football news and reaction there. The Cork hurlers beat Antrim and they're playing Galway in an All-Ireland quarterfinal this weekend. So we, we've chatted to Kieran Kingston about that. We have an interview with Orla Finn, the Cork ladies footballers, as the Cork ladies get their All-Ireland Championship campaign underway against Donegal this week. The Cork Camogie team is back in action in their All-Ireland Championship bid. And we have an interview with Saoirse McCarthy there. And there's lots of local GA as well. Um, we have a match report, and, and it's a big one, Jack. It's a good local one for us. O'Donovan Ross and Island Rovers played in the county league the weekend, and it was a big win, big win for Skib. I think it was 4 12 to 7 points. Uh, we have a match report and reaction from this game. And the reason it's important, Skib and Island are going to meet in the in the senior A football championship in a couple of weeks' time. And for, for Island Rovers, who were relegated from Premier Senior ranks, kind of the, the, the ship that lost against Skib a couple of weeks out from their from their big championship, it, it, it won't do their confidence any good. But of course, championship is, is a different animal. So as you can see from that alone, we have an awful lot going on in this week's sports section, including roundups of the Cork Junior B football championship. It was a good week for West Cork clubs. Castlehaven are still fighting for a semi-final spot in the County Football League. The Bearer footballers are back out on Thursday night against Evan, against Muskery, sorry, in the Senior Football Championship. So quite a busy sports section and loads of reading in there. Absolutely, Kieran, And it's available in shops across West Cork and the city and beyond from Thursday morning. But if you can't make it to a shop, you can always subscribe online. Just go to www.southernstar.ie forward slash e-paper and read the Southern Star on your computer, tablet, or smartphone for less than €2 Euro per week. Thanks for listening to the Star Sport Podcast. We'll be back at the same time next week with a big Cork versus Dublin preview. If you enjoy these shows, please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Slán Tomlin.